If you'll remember back <clears throat> before Easter, uh, in our sermon on Proverbs 8, verses 12 through 36, we finally figured out who wisdom was or who wisdom personified. And it's Jesus. Uh, the farther we went into that passage, the more the, the thought of Jesus became more and more real, more prevalent to us. And here today in 9, 1 through 6, we're, we're invited by wisdom to be a part of it. Chapter 8, we see when uh, wisdom appeared at the beginning of creation. It was anticipated by God that we would need a remedy in our failures when left on our own, and He provided one for us. We're addressed by wisdom from the heavens in chapter 8. But in chapter 9, we see wisdom's house has been built. Our remedy came to save us, and his house was built here. Now, we know that as the church, don't we? <clears throat> Wisdom lives in us through the Holy Spirit, the, the paraclete, the one who took Jesus' place here on earth. That wisdom is here to prepare us for eternal life. Wisdom was costly. It cost God his son. Our remedy to the ills of the world through that wisdom will cost us as well in some form or another. And if you look at our reading for today, we're offered an invitation to partake of a feast with wisdom. And if you look at our reading again, after wisdom prepares this great feast for us, young women are sent out to try and attract people into the feast. It's the way she addresses the, uh, the, those who are coming. That's, that's what gets me. She addresses the simple and those who lack sense. As Dale Carnegie once said, this is the way to win friends and influence people, isn't it? So after laying this passage out in the Condensed Reader's Digest version, as I just did, let's go back and look at these six verses a little bit more in depth. But first, I want to stop right here a second. We have identified wisdom as Jesus, okay? I don't think anybody has a problem with that. Yet the Hebrew term for wisdom is C-H-O-K-M-A, pronounced kakmal. That's Hebrew. It comes from the base word in Hebrew, kakkam, two different words, meaning to be wise. This is, uh, it's a feminine noun of all things. It isn't that the owner of the name for wisdom is feminine, though, okay? Understand that. This is just the way the word is written and translated. That's your Hebrew lesson for today. There'll be a test next week, so you better remember it, okay? Bottom line, when you see wisdom translated as she, it does not pertain to Jesus, okay? It pertains to that noun being used, all right? So we'll use the term she when we speak of wisdom. Looking at the passage in verses 1 through 3, we see wisdom has indeed built a house. The seven pillars detect perfection. And it would appear that the house would be very large. Pillars are an emblem of strength. 
<clears throat> we'll, we'll see one of those pillars, if not arguably the main pillar, in our next reading in verses nine, or chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Wisdom is very old. It's very stable. It's quite beautiful to see. In fact, this perfect building, which never decays or falls apart, is probably, arguably, the church itself. In it, we're offered a place to come complete with stability that has a meal prepared for any and all who will come. We see in the Scriptures a number of places where food and hospitality are the order of the day. Look at Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. The Lord appears to Abraham in the form of three angels. Abraham has Sarah fix a meal for those special guests. It's from there that they are promised to revisit, as it were, and that Sarah would become pregnant with a son. Look at Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. When the prodigal comes home, what did the father do? He had the fatted calf killed, and there was great joy and a feast to celebrate the return of the one who had walked away from his father. The question is asked in Psalm 78, can God spread a table in the wilderness? And Well, God rains down manna in the wilderness on the, on the people, does He not? For 40 years He does this. We remember two stories in the New Testament of Jesus feeding uh, 4,000 and 5,000 people with minimal fishes and loaves. And then in John 6 verse 35, Jesus boldly proclaims to a crowd that He is the bread of life, even reminding them what God the Father had done in the wilderness, feeding the people daily for all those many years. The difference, though, is Jesus says this, that the bread from heaven is true bread from God. The bread comes to the world and gives life to it, to any and all who would accept it as truth. So God's hospitality through himself and through Christ is evident in the scriptures. The bread and wine that we have today represents the body and blood or the yeah the body and blood of Christ that was shed on the cross for many. I believe that it may be the same meal depicted in our reading this morning. Now in this chapter 9 we'll be confronted with two women, wisdom and folly. Brad, I think, gets folly in a couple of weeks. So, good for you. <laughs> Look at verse 2 as well. We know that the human body cannot function without nourishment, right? So the soul cannot function without the plain, simple truth of the gospel. The banquet is, is ready here. Looking back at verse 2, it's vital to each of us that the church provides spiritual sustenance. So how is that done? It's through worship, preaching, teaching, singing, prayer, fellowship. <clears throat> but it goes beyond that. It's service to others, loving and caring for one another inside and outside the church. And then the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. I'll ask you a question. Do we eat the same things every day? Certainly not. Not even a picky eater like myself. I'm glad my wife's not here for that one because she'd be wholeheartedly agreeing. We all need some variety in our diet, do we not? 
We need various things then in our worship as well. And wisdom has sent out her maids to call from the highest places to come and be a part of that wonderful meal. This is an invitation to any and to all who will hear and respond. This call is not to be hoarded by us. It's to be shared by us. Look at 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. It says, The things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Don't send the truth out haphazardly, but in a certain, sure, methodical way is what Paul is saying here. The word of truth should begin right here from the pulpit. It should then be like a rock in a still pond. I would, I would call that the ripple effect, I guess. The truth should be carried from the pulpit out to you. And then the truth should be carried with you and shared wherever you go. That is, if everyone is going to have a chance to hear it and respond to it. And shouldn't that be our desire as the church? That all people are able to hear it? That's part of discipleship, folks. This is part of what we've been trying to, to, to ingrain in everyone here at Hill City Church. Now, it's interesting that the young women are used here to call everyone to the banquet, and yet it makes perfect sense. I think we could say that purity is depicted or could at least be attributed to a young maiden or a young lady. And yet, shouldn't we, as, as we share the truth with others, shouldn't we share it with purity as well? By that, I mean no bias, no pride in our heart and voice as we share. Nothing but meekness in our heart. Nothing but humility in our heart. If pride is detected, you're going to fail in your desire to promote Jesus and his gospel. You can't share the good news when you're giving the impression that you're not being totally truthful. Like you're either hiding something or you know something that people, other people do not know. And you're going to lord that over them. Because you've got that knowledge that they need. That we are obligated to give them. And yet we choose not to for whatever reason. This is not the way... To win anyone to Jesus Christ. You've got to be humble, pure, meek, and maybe above all, you have got to be transparent. We're fighting, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 6.12, we are fighting not flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. This is serious enemies we have here, folks. And we have got to treat it as such. No small feat, then, is it to share the truth with a world who, if the truth be made known, really doesn't want it. And yet, what have we been commanded to do? We are to go into the world and teach and preach Jesus. We are to go into the world and teach and preach His wisdom. 
We can't afford to let others do the job that we have been commanded to do ourselves because they're better speakers than we are. Because they know the Bible better than we do. Folks, those excuses aren't going to fly. You share what you know better than anyone else in the world. You share your witness. No one can tell that story better than you. You tell people what God has done for you in your life. How Jesus came to you in your life. And what he has done for you subsequently. Now verse 4 is an interesting one. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. (laughs) Never really thought of myself as simple, but hmm, there you go. Y'all may think a little bit different. It gets better in the next statement. To him who lacks sense. (laughs) This is one time where I actually prefer the King James Version more than any of the others because it says wanting understanding. That, in my mind, fits me a little bit better. Y'all may think simple and and lacking sense. I, I get that. But it's a lot easier to digest when you hear wanting understanding, you know. But what this pertains to is anyone who understands that he lacks something in his life. And that something is wisdom. The, the, the simple are the ones who, are, who, who know that they are lacking something in their lives. Those are the ones who are the emptiest. Who, who they, they have come to the end of their rope, so to speak. They realize they have got nothing left in this life. And they need something more than what they've got. Those are the ones that come heart in hand, but empty-handed, if that makes sense. Those are the ones who cannot go any farther down. So they have no alternative but to look up. That's what we're talking about here in this particular Passage. And again, as we've stated before, we know who wisdom is, don't we? It's Jesus. So essentially, what they're saying is those who are empty in this world, they're seeking some kind of wisdom, and we've got it. We have it, and we have it to share. That's what 9 1 through 6 is saying here, okay? But for those who want or need or thirst, for God's wisdom, that spiritual sustenance, we can have it, as we see in verse 5. Come and eat the bread and drink the wine I have mixed, it says. And what do we receive when we partake of the special meal prepared for us? That's right, it's the Lord's Supper, isn't it? Drinking the wine I have mixed reminds us of how wine was taken So many years ago. Yes, back in Jesus' day, there was no way of sanitizing their water. They had no water purification system, so they really had no choice but to be able to use something with alcohol in it to be able to kill the bacteria so the water could be used. And that's what they would do. They would use fermented wine to mix with their water so that they would be able to drink. Now... Were they all a bunch of drunks? No, no. This was a weak, weak mixture. It was a three-part water, one-part wine mixture that they used. And you know they had to have had a a lot of experimenting with this, maybe to try to go with less, and they found out that with, with internal 
problems that you can have, you know, they, they, were, they had to use more to be able to get rid of the bacteria. So this was something that had been tried and true for them, I am sure. But they seldom, seldom drank the wine at full strength. The important thing to remember is that the church, that strong facility built for us, that's where we to come to wisdom to be fed the bread and to be given that mixed wine. This is where we are as people desiring something more in our lives spiritually, who are hungry for wisdom, hungry for Jesus. This is where you and I are called to come and be fed that wisdom, learning about and knowing our Jesus. In another thought, we need the bread, God's word, and the wine as the Spirit of God to come to us and fill us. Without the Spirit, we're not going to be successful. For it's in the Spirit that we gain life, as we see in 2 Corinthians 3, 6. Now, you may have a lot of Bible knowledge, okay? But without the Spirit, we become legalists. We can take anything out of the Scriptures and use it contextually for you or against you. I know people that are like that. I mean, I, I, you, you know people that are so brilliant with the Scriptures. Ask them what Psalm 2 is, and they can spout it off for you, okay? But how is it used? You know, if you've got all this knowledge, but you don't have the Holy Spirit in your heart to be able to use that knowledge properly, what have you got? What have you got? we got to remember not to be a legalist. Those who acknowledge that they need Jesus will be fed and filled with the Spirit. Jesus calls us from the highest heavens to come and gain wisdom and understanding from Him. Verse 6, we can surmise this question, what must I do to be saved? It's here that we are told to give up our simple, sinful ways and walk in the pathway of insight. Or in the light, as we may know. You see, wisdom is offered to us as a way to escape desiring to live in and for sin. And we'll be unloading this a little bit more over the next few weeks. I imagine Brett will be talking more about this as well. But we are offered this gift to leave a world and life of foolishness and pursue truth and wisdom found only in Jesus. The truly wise one will accept God's free gift and live. Those who are simple, those who lack sense as we see in our reading today, that's who they're talking about here. While the world may consider our actions as foolishness, know that as we come to that well-built structure that is undergirded by seven strong pillars, there is a feast awaiting us. That feast can belong to you and me. It was the wisdom of God that set the cross at the center of the plan of salvation. I dare say that the cross may be the biggest and most important of the load-bearing pillars that are in those seven pillars that hold the church up. This plan was foolishness to the world, but not to those who were being saved. 
The world may see our way as a strange thing. To go against the grain of the world. To, uh, to go and search in a non-worldly wisdom. But we believe it to be our wisdom to pursue. It's our choice. We're called to that choice. It's inevitable that when we follow the call of the gospel, it's not only foolishness which we must abandon, but we also must abandon the foolish people who attempt to bring us back into the world as well. Share the gospel? Yes. But don't walk into the snares that will attempt to trap us with the world. That's what it means to walk in the way of insight. To pursue godly righteousness. And to partake of the bread and wine prepared for all believers. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, What a privilege it is to be able to hear this word today. Yes, Lord, we are simple. Uh, we, We lack sense oftentimes. And yet, Father, you have chosen to open our eyes to you and to your love for us. For that, we can't thank you enough. So would you bless us with that desire to go out and share our story with the world? It's what you've called us to do. Um, Can't say we don't understand it because we hear it too many times how we're supposed to do that. So bless us with that desire, Lord, to go out and please you, but to bring the lost to you. This world is really not desiring to hear that kind of good news. And yet, Father, we know that it must be done. So help us. Give us courage to go out into the world. And to be able to bring the lost once again to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.